You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. If if, if your blood runs orange and blue, 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 this this is the pod for you. you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. Game one, locked down. This is Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, RGWFN original. I'm EJ Stewart, joined by Tommy Beer. Boy, we got a great show for you guys. We're talking Knicks playoff basketball, the Knicks winning game one on Saturday over the Cleveland Cavaliers. They now have a 1-0 series in their first round matchup. We'll talk about how they got that win. Who the heroes? Who are the villains? All of the big storylines coming out of that big game one win for the New York Knicks. We'll also preview game two, which happens on Tuesday in Cleveland. The Knicks have a golden opportunity to go up 2-0 potentially against the Cavs. And we'll talk about what they have to do to make that happen. And plenty of storylines in the first weekend of the NBA playoffs. We'll talk about some of these injuries, some of these upsets, some of these injuries, maybe how they impact the Knicks and their future in this postseason. So a lot of conversations to be had on this episode. Joining me is my co-host, Tommy Beer. Tommy, how are you feeling up 1-0? Listen, you, you, you know, as we'll talk about, a lot of things went wrong. You didn't get your A-plus game from a lot of key contributors. Um, but you did get a brilliant performance from Josh Hart and a and a, a classic prime Jalen Brunson second half, and uh, you know, and, and and just enough on the margins to push the Knicks to a, a very important game one victory. We talked about the importance of game one heading into the series, and now the Knicks have locked it up. Um, it's a little more juice to the series, and now the uh, sure. the objective is to get greedy and go for two. Um, but before we get there, let's talk about game one, EJ. Let's, let's talk about game one. And before we do that, this is, again, Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, WFN Odyssey original, a podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto-download feature on your streaming service so you get these episodes every time we drop. We drop three times a week. It's our first episode for this week. So make sure you hit that auto-download feature on your streaming service to get these episodes every time we drop. Also, be sure to... Check us out on YouTube. You can find our video podcast, not just on uh, the WFEN page, but also on the Odyssey Sports page as well. So make sure you check us out there as well. Make sure you subscribe to the Odyssey Sports and WFEN pages. So let's begin with game one. The Knicks kicked off the playoffs with a monster win on the road in Cleveland. Jalen Brunson's 27 points, including a 21-point second half, propelled the Knicks over the Cavs 101-97. to the Knicks trailed early in the first quarter, but then led most of the way with uh, Brunson leaving the game early with three first half fouls. Some of them may be questionable calls, but nonetheless, three first half fouls had Jalen Brunson essentially on the bench for most of the first half. Julius Randle, who returned triumphantly from his 17 days off with an ankle injury, picked up the slack, 
scoring 16 first half points. He finished with 19 points and 10 rebounds. Cleveland stormed back in the fourth quarter to take a brief lead, but the Knicks were able to close the game thanks to a clutch, clutch three-pointer from Josh Hart, who scored 17 points in the win. Some big shots from Jalen Brunson. Two offensive rebounds that were crucial. One from Isaiah Hardenstein, one from Julius Randle, and then some clutch free throws by Quentin Grimes to seal the deal. For Cleveland, it was Donovan Mitchell who led all scorers with 38 points. He had a 20-point second half. Darius Garland had 17. So, Tommy, how were the Knicks able to get this win? Yeah, you mentioned the two offensive rebounds late in the fourth quarter. They were huge. Um, so credit to, to Randall and Hardenstein for, for those two offensive boards. And that's a theme we talked about going into the series, the Knicks' ability to dominate on the glass. Um, that proved immensely important. Knicks out-rebound the Cavs 51-38 to 38 in game in game one. Um, talked about Quentin Grimes, two clutch free throws. First two free throws of his NBA postseason career. Um, yep. Knocked them both down. Huge, huge buckets. Um, and obviously what Jalen Brunson did in the second half um, really put his imprint on the game and it's at this point we shouldn't be surprised you know going back to season one uh the the last season uh the first round series against donovan mitchell who was then with the jazz and and uh, brunson obviously then with the mavericks um we know what he is capable of doing um but i thought the guy who gets the game ball and and kind of the the, the takeaway for me was the importance and the impact josh hart had on this on this game and, and potentially has had since he's arrived in new york and hopefully yeah. we'll have for many years to come, including the next week and two weeks and however long this fun little journey this postseason lasts, um, because he was just so immensely important. 17-10, um, two assists, um, scored more points than the entire Cavs second unit combined, all four reserves. Hart had more points, had twice as many rebounds as those four second unit players from the Cavs. He had 10 boards. Um, uh, this is, as, as we've talked about, his first, his actual first postseason NBA game of his career. Um, joins Patrick Ewing as just the second Nick in franchise history um, with more than six, 15 points um, and at least 10 rebounds um, in, yeah. in the contest. Was 8 of 11 from the floor. Um, just did all the things that you had hoped when you made a trade and give up a first round pick for it in a mid season deal, all those things that you had hoped he'd, he'd done over the, the second half of the season. And he did it, um, you know, uh, on, on Saturday night. And, and we talked time and time again about just the way he puts his impact and, in his, his forcefulness, his, his physicality, um, yep. his ability. We saw him take that step back three pointer, which is the biggest shot um, any Nick has hit in a, in a really long time, considering yeah. the context. Um, this would have been a really tough game to lose, um, considering the Knicks had that big fourth quarter lead. Cavs came charging back. Obviously, Mitchell's going to do what he does. Um, if Knicks had blown that lead and lost game one, it would have been a really deflating loss. Um, Josh Hart, shot clock winding down. Randall and, and and Brunson can't shake loose of their defenders. Uh, uh, Hart recognizes the, that the you know, shot clock's about to expire. Step back three over J.D. Osmond. Next time down the floor, um, Mitchell pulls up for a three-pointer. Hart grabs the defensive rebound, and away they go. Knicks never forfeit their lead. Um, so I just thought it was a huge, um, huge performance by Josh Hart, and, and he just gave you everything you could ask for and uh, was, uh, if not the primary reason the Knicks won this game, certainly one of the a very, very valuable contributor. Definitely can't argue with Josh Hart getting a game ball because you're right. The shot was clutch. Um, I thought his defense in this game was also exceptional. Sometimes he has trouble with the quicker guards, and I thought that he was up to the task guarding both Mitchell and Garland at various stretches in this game. So Hart, and then don't even mention the 10 rebounds. <laughs> and again, uh, him going out there and, and helping the Knicks 
dominate on the glass, something that we talked about really much of last week, and it really kind of was evident in this game. I mean, they went, they had 51 rebounds compared to 38 for the Cavs. Cavs giving up 17 offensive rebounds in this game. Josh Hart, um, a big factor in that. He had five offensive rebounds in this game. So the Knicks, if they're going to be able to score on this team, if they're going to continue to get good possessions, Alive is going to have to be getting offensive rebounds. Alive is going to have to be getting multiple opportunities. Um, the, the I thought Josh Hart said something very interesting at halftime because I'm going back and forth. I started on MSG. Uh, well, I started on ESPN for a bit. It went to MSG. MSG was the where I was for most of the game. But I wanted to go to halftime at ESPN because I know they were talking to players throughout the game. And halftime, they're talking to Josh Hart. And Josh Hart said the key to the Knicks in that first half was running because he said you can't defend that. And I thought, okay, that's what the Knicks feel like is the key to winning this series. They got to get out in transition because they know facing Cleveland's set defense, they're going to have some success because you got a guy like Jalen Brunson who can just boogie on anybody and get buckets. You're going to have a shot, but that's not something they want to do for 48 minutes. So I thought the Knicks in the first half were able to kind of overcome really poor performances from RJ and IQ and Brunson on the bench. And it, by getting up and down the court, it got Randall some open threes. It got Hart some layups and drives to the basket. It got them some um, rim, well, offensive rebound putback opportunities on layups in transition. I thought that that was a big key in this game. But, I mean, we talk about the greatness of Jalen Brunson. That's what it is. I, I, you know, it's not just, oh, he's a good player or he's a guy that's hot or a guy that's, you know, you know finding his way. He's great. He's a, he's a truly great player. And to see that game – Cleveland goes in that run, and I think they cut it to one. And Cleveland ended up still taking the lead, but Brunson like getting that ball and telling Thibodeau, "Hey, don't call a timeout. Don't don't call one. We got this here." Like even that told me, like, "Wow, this guy, he is so ready for this moment. He's not gonna let let the Knicks lose this game, even though they ended up giving up the lead still." And Tibbs eventually did have to call a timeout. I, I just knew how locked in he was, and. The decision by J.B. Bickerstaff to put Chetty Oshman one-on-one on Brunson may be the worst decision-making I've seen from any coach all in the first, throughout those first-round games I saw. Uh, I don't know if Isaac Okoro is banged up still. I know he also was so ineffective offensively. He missed all four of his threes. I don't know if that has something to do with that, but that seemed like the easiest, quickest way to die late in the game was to say, you know what, Chetty Osman, we're not going to send doubles. We're going to let you go one-on-one. We're going to sit and help defense, and you're going to guard one of the best one-on-one scorers in the NBA. And, hey, good luck, dude. Have at it. I don't know. That that seemed like a really questionable decision. So, um, yes, major props to Josh Hart. Props to Tom Thibodeau. I thought he coached his best game as a New York Knicks head coach. The way he w- managed the rotations, knowing that Randall's going to have limited minutes, trusting Obi Toppin, who Toppin gave him really good minutes in this game. Then having the maneuver Brunson getting in foul trouble and then having to the maneuver RJ and IQ being so ineffective offensively and still finding a way to find the right combinations throughout the game to keep them up most of that game. And then to make the late substitutions to put iHeart back in the game, to put Quentin Grimes back in the game in the last two minutes. It was a masterclass from Tom Thibodeau, his best coaching performance by far as Knicks head coach. And it was when they needed it most. So props to the entire team. Great, great team win. Uh, in game one over Cleveland. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. My only minor quibble with Tibbs was waiting a little bit long to put Grimes back in in place of You're RJ. Right. That was my quibble as well. Yeah, because RJ, but but agreed. Um, he got his uh, Tibbs had his hand forced a little bit by Randall, who's clearly exhausted, wasn't a hundred percent. But plenty of credit to Randall for gotten hadn't played in seventeen days, um, scored f- eight first quarter points with which the Knicks badly needed, especially with with uh, Brunson limited by by foul trouble. Um, so a ton of credit uh, both to Randall and Tibbs in that respect. Um, and yes, you mentioned Obi's minutes. I, I wanted to make sure we gave um, some some flowers to Obi. He gave them really important minutes, um, and they're going to need it um as as randall kind of works his way back um was kind of the ideal situation for for obi um so a lot to like there and and yes brunson isn't good he's great and uh, he's been a true difference maker um since uh you know the the entirety of the season especially in the clutch and once again stepped up stepped in and, and did his thing absolutely i do want to make sure we give real props to julius randall because that is a tough spot to come in having not played for 17 days with, you know, the only playoff experience he has in his head, which we know he can get in his head very often being that Atlanta series and to him to come out and play so well in that first half. And for him to not get baited by Donovan Mitchell, who I don't know what the hell he was doing on that little scuffle. He tried to start. I mean, Randall gets clobbered, which was happening a lot through that game. He is clobbered by Jared Allen, a play that could have been a flagrant foul. Randall only just shoves him off of him after he just got clobbered. And Mitchell looks it looks like he's trying to start some kind of fight or some kind of situation. And Randall just turns around, laughs it off, is waving at the crowd and is smiling. I'm like, okay, Julius Randall is completely locked in because a month ago, that would have been a whole situation. He would have got in front of Mitchell's face. He would have got a technical foul. He may have got thrown out. When I saw how he reacted to that, I said, Randall's on a different he's on a different planet in a good way this time he's on a different plane maybe those three weeks was what he needed but his approach his energy and for him to be as exhausted as he clearly was because he saw how gassy he was that second half him to go from the three-point line and sprint sprint to the baseline to get that basketball sprinting past Evan Mobley guy who's you know 20 years old in prime conditioning hasn't missed the game and to get that offensive rebound to ensure that the Knicks Got a chance to win that game and sail it with those free throws. Uh, it was a man's performance. It was, it was a heroic performance. It was a warrior-type performance. Much, much love to Julius Randle as we record this podcast on Monday. That was a man's game kind of performance for him. 
Yeah, and as we talked about time and again, we don't Randall doesn't need to score 30 plus points to be supremely effective. Exactly. Um, grab an offensive rebound here and there and, and kind of do what he does, use his physicality, use his strength, and, and that's exactly what he did and, and get some Nick some key buckets early on. Um, and his shooting percentage wasn't great, but defend, rebound, and look for the open man, and that's what he did. How do we feel about the performances with RJ and IQ? Both guys struggled with their shot mightily. I think RJ did a I thought RJ's defense was really good in this game, and he had six assists, so he was able to impact the game in some way. IQ, I don't know what he was on, but it felt like to me he was sped up. It seemed like the playoff moment caught him, quite frankly, and I was surprised by that because um, we know what kind of big-time, big-game player he's been for the Knicks this season. Where do you see those guys kind of fitting in moving forward in this series? Do you feel confident they can turn around because – as great as Nick Wynn was, it's very hard to think that you can get a combined, you know, oh, two for four, two for 17 from quickly and Barrett and win many games in this series. Totally. I think IQ will bounce back. We've seen him play well in big spots. Um, he had a poor game. You're right. Didn't look comfortable. Looked like the moment was a little bit too big for him. Uh, maybe put a little bit too much pressure on himself, you know, six minute yeah. of the year conversation. And, you know, I need to step up. Maybe when Brunson got in foul trouble, may have thrown him off his game a little bit. Um, but for whatever reason, this obviously was one of the worst IQ, worst games IQ has played the entire season. Um, Absolutely. For the Knicks to get away with that is is huge. Um, and, and I do think he'll bounce back. RJ, you know, same concerns. Um, I thought he was an X factor coming into the series. Um, and I thought they needed him to play well for, you know, four games, essentially. If they can get four wins, they got to win without him playing all that well. So now maybe they only need three games, um, mm -hmm. three good games. Um, from RJ, but as you know, um, still found ways to contribute. Um, thought he, you know, should have got on the floor for a couple loose balls early in the game. Yeah, um, uh, that was that was a missed opportunity. Um, but again, defensively, um, you know, did kind of you know did, did a solid enough job. Stayed in front of guys. Was locked in. Um, and, um, again, uh, the, the four steals, six assists, th those numbers matter. Um, and you know, uh, he knocked down that one, three pointer, man, that was good yeah. to see it through. Um, but again, keep attacking the basket, get your foot in the paint, uh, spray out the shooters. Those are the things you can contribute. Um, and I, and I think we'll have a couple good games, um, from RJ and, and if not, you know, more Grimes, more IQ, more heart, um, if, if he doesn't have it. Yeah, I, I think that it was a good sign to see RJ find a way to, to contribute because, again, his shooting was a disaster in this game. He was missing a lot of bunnies around the basket. But six assists, he wasn't being selfish. He was spraying out to guys when he needed to. And I thought the whole team, but I mean, RJ may have been the guy who was most in tune. I thought their rotations were phenomenal. It just yes. how many times have we seen guys get wide open threes and the Knicks kind of be just slow on the rotations and – I don't know. I, I don't know where all these steals were. I know at least two or three of these steals was him just being right where he thought the Cleveland Cavaliers thought their player would be. Him just being right there ready to steal the ball. I mean, he was very in tune with where he had to be defensively. The Knicks got 11 steals uh, for the for total for the total of this entire game. So a lot of guys had multiple steal games. Brunson had two. Mitch Robinson had two. And Randall had two. So that kind of shows you just how well uh, they were playing those passing lanes. But RJ to get four. So that he he was able to at least contribute in some way. I am not, I am honestly not that concerned with either guy, because I feel like RJ is going to make some of those layups he missed. Uh, that yeah. that was that was one of the biggest things. I mean, one five one for five from three. I have to accept that that's who he is. So I'm not right. expecting any more from that. Some of those layups, some of those bunnies he was missing. I think he'll get better shots, better opportunities. 
um, especially given what adjustments we may see from Cleveland moving on in the series. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And I, IQ is a gamer. I, I have almost no concern about IQ. I, I don't know. I, I agree. I think maybe Brunson getting in foul trouble kind of messed him up a little bit. But I think he'll come back in this next game. He'll respond. Uh, and the fact that the Knicks getting Josh Hart really kind of, he's a problem solver. Like, this is exactly what we talked about when this trade happened. It was fronts, you know, Briar is inconsistent. And he has a game like this. Where else are you getting this offense? Where are you replacing that production? In the past, the Knicks just had to live with whatever those guys gave you. If they struggled, they were still playing 35 minutes a night. Or they were still getting his 35, 38 minutes a night, regardless of how poorly he was playing. If IQ struggled, he was going to have to play 30 minutes a night. It just didn't matter. But when you have Josh Hart on the bench, he can give you 33 minutes off the bench. And that was a huge part in this game. The bench destroyed Cleveland, which is exactly what we both said had to happen in this series. You can get 33 minutes from a guy off the bench, and he scored 17 and 10. I mean, that erases, almost it completely erases your R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly problem in this game. So the, the trade for Josh Hart um, – probably maybe the best trade in during the trade deadline. I know Kevin Durant was traded, so I don't want to uh you know speak too too much of hyperbole, but it just shows how important that deal was for the Knicks. Hundred percent. Couldn't agree with you more. And you know, as you mentioned, IQ only played four minutes and 30 seconds or something like that in the second half. That's not an, a luxury that most teams have. They have to rely mm-hmm. on their uh, on their one of their best best bench players to to come. And we know that IQ's played a lot of fourth quarter minutes, but having Hart there gives you that opportunity to bring in somebody who can not only eat up those minutes, can make a big impact in those minutes. Yep. Knicks win 101-97, take game one over the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. So after two days off, the Knicks and Cavs lock horns again for game two on Tuesday. The Knicks are trying to become just the 22nd team in NBA history to win the first two games on the road of a 2-2-1-1-1 series format. Ironically, one of the teams to complete this feat was the 1999 New York Knicks, who went on to go to the NBA Finals and lose to the San Antonio Spurs. They beat the Atlanta Hawks uh, on the road in the first two games of the Eastern Conference semifinal series that they played. Road teams who win the first two games of a series are 21 and four all time in this format of going on to win the series. So that is what is available to the Knicks. Essentially, a win gives you an 85 to 95 percent chance to win the series if they get it done in Cleveland. So how realistic is it from what you saw in game one for the Knicks to not only get a split, but then leave Cleveland with two games uh, in the series? Yeah, listen, it's not crazy. I mean, as we mentioned, Emmanuel Quickly, Quinn Grimes, R.J. Barrett, a combined three of 21 from the floor. Randall, one of seven in the second half. Uh, Brunson limited to foul trouble. Donovan Mitchell had 38. And Knicks still come back and win that that game one. So uh, would I be shocked for those things to kind of flip-flop? And, you know, I think the Knicks, like we talked about, have to get greedy right now. Yeah, I agree. I think that the Knicks have a great opportunity in front of them because I – you know, it's funny. When I watch these series, what I like to do is I like to listen to the other side. I like to hear what is happening in Cavs world. What are they saying? How are they assessing this first game? And I got to be honest, Tommy, they sound a lot like how I and many Nick fans sounded after game one against the Hawks. That's what they sounded like. I, it was a lot of, well, we got to get adjusted to the speed of the game. We got to get adjusted to the physicality. And, you know, okay, you know, Brunson did that. Could he do that for four games? 
I mean, that was what the Knicks and I were saying after they lost game one to Trey Young and the Hawks. It was, can Trey Young keep, keep playing like this? It was, can, um, can, can, uh, can, can they, the Knicks, you know, adjust to the physicality and get themselves back into this series? Like, it was all those things that, that, that I kept hearing from Knicks fans and what I was spewing was what I was hearing from Cavs fans. And I looked at that and I said, hmm, if you're relying on a lot of these things to kind of just flip themselves and, and, and turn this thing around and you think that you don't have to play much better for you guys to actually come back in this series, that you think that you guys can kind of just figure it out and just show off for game two and things will just be better, I think they could be in for a rude awakening. I really think the Knicks have a chance to get this game because, as you mentioned, Tommy, like you had IQ giving you nothing. Essentially, I mean, not only not only did he give you nothing, he was really a minus. And 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 with the turnovers he was having, again, he didn't seem in tune on either side of the ball. So you got nothing from IQ. RJ Barrett was able to give you some score, some some assisting and some defense, but he couldn't give you any scoring. Jalen Brunson essentially did not play in the first half of this game. Julius Randle is coming off of an ankle injury, having not played basketball at least in a NBA game in 17 days and that was the game you couldn't get you couldn't get uh that game where you got donovan mitchell giving you a 38 per perform 38 point performance and a, a a big second half you couldn't get that win that to me is a really rough sign for what the knicks have in store for them i i, I mean what the Cavs have in store for them so i i think that it is realistic that the knicks could find a way to, get, to win game two now I think that there are certain things that you probably don't want to happen in game one that uh, that you don't want to happen in game two in order for you guys to win. Like, I don't think you want to live with another over five from IQ. I don't, you know, Mitchell getting 38. I mean, we know he's a great player. You don't want him to average 38. So you probably want to get that number down uh, just a little bit. So I, that is something that, that that's going to be a problem. But I, I do think that there is a way for the Knicks to play essentially similarly to how they played in terms of beating them on the glass, remaining physical, being in tune defensively, and coming away with a game two win. I don't see this high, high ceiling for Cleveland to play all that much better than we saw in game one. Maybe you get a better performance from Mobley, but I don't think you're getting much from that bench. That bench has been a problem for Cleveland all season. Um, Karis Avert, who Jackson Flickinger, who came on our show and, and talked about uh, his struggles with his shot, especially off the dribble. He did not look comfortable shooting the ball. Isaac Carroll did not look comfortable shooting the ball. Um, I, I just think that this is going to be a, a problem for the Cavs throughout the, the rest of the series. I think some adjustments that you could see from Cleveland in game two, I think one, the Chetty Osman strategy regarding him against Jalen Brunson one-on-one, I would expect that to be thrown completely out of the window, or at the very least, um, used much more minimally than it was in that in that game one. And again, that seemed that again, speaking about how much it reminded me of the Knicks losing to Atlanta in game one a couple of years ago, that kind of reminded me of like the Frank Nilakina coming in cold in that series to guard Trey Young in the biggest possession uh, of the game. Like the Teddy Osman going up against uh, Jalen Brunson in that situation. Osman not known as a defender, not a good matchup for Jalen Brunson because of the lack of foot speed. He has some length, but uh, Jalen Brunson seemed entirely comfortable just working him one-on-one. 
I don't expect that to be the case. If somehow they decide that Osman is still their best option down the stretch, they're going to send doubles. At least if, if they were smart, they're going to send doubles. Like I, that was probably the most surprising thing for me from game one in terms of a strategy standpoint from Cleveland. The way J.B. Bickerstaff talked about Brunson, talked about the Knicks prior to this series. Uh, after they have, after Jalen Brunson put up 48 points and beat them after that game a couple weeks ago uh, in the week leading up to the series, it felt like they were teasing that you could expect a lot of double teams. You could expect Jalen Brunson to be forced to get the ball out of his hands. And that was not the case. They tried to load up uh, Donovan Mitchell in the, in the pick and roll action when they tried to go uh, small, you know, one, two or one, three pick and rolls to try to get a switch. Mitchell was staying in help and not really leaving until he absolutely had to. But there was not a strategy to say we need to get the ball completely out of Jalen Brunson's hands. I think that that will probably be the first adjustment you see from Cleveland. If it's not in the first half, I think you almost definitely get expected in the fourth quarter that on pick and roll situations or in situations uh, where they're isolated, I think you'll see them run two guys at Jalen Brunson. I think one of the things you also could see as well is a change to the rotation um, on that bench because, again, they got absolutely nothing from that bench. You got uh, zero from Ricky Rubio, three points from LaVert. He's going to play. Nothing they can do about that. Um, but Dean Wade gave you two points. So maybe Danny Green gets some time. Danny Green, not the defender he used to be, not maybe the doesn't have the same legs he used to have, but maybe he uh, makes a, a run at them and, and, and he gives them some minutes. Maybe he's a guy that can chase around Brunson for a little bit. Or maybe uh, still Lamar Stevens may be a guy. He's another defender that maybe they'll try to run at Brunson, a guy with a little bit of length. I don't think either of those guys are great matchups, but um, the minutes they got from Rubio and Dean Wade were a disaster. I mean, Dean Wade was a minus 14. Rubio was a minus nine. He had two turnovers in six minutes. So I expect there to be some shuffling on the Cavs bench. I expect there to be a much different strategy when it comes to guarding uh, Jalen Brunson. And uh, I, I think it's, got, it's a little bit scary hours for Cleveland. It's a little bit of scary hours for Cleveland because to get that kind of game from Donovan Mitchell and you still couldn't win, even though the Knicks had really poor performances from guys that I just don't think you can expect to see those performances throughout this series. Like maybe one for seven from Levert is like, I think he'll have a better games than that, but I don't know how much better Isaac Coro was playing. He had six points and one for six from the field over four from three. I, I mean, he's not a scorer. So that's what you're going to get from him. Um, I don't, and Rubio is clearly not hundred percent. So I think that what you saw from him is probably what you're going to get from him in this series. Dean Wade is not going to be a factor in this series. Uh, they actually got a good game for Chetty Osman, besides the fact that he couldn't guard Brunson. Um, he gave his best effort, and he did hit two threes. He had nine points. He played pretty well, and they found a way to lose that game. So I think the Knicks are in really good shape. So when it comes to making a pick for game two, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think the Knicks are going to do it. I think the Knicks are going to get two. I really do. I'm, I'm thinking about what I saw in game one and the Knicks. There are things that there are certain things that just kind of won't ever really leave that's why i thought the cavalier response to this game was very interesting because they were talking about fixing things i don't think that they could fix like they say it will be more physical i'm like okay i just don't think they're a more physical team than the knicks i mean every Moby's getting trucked under the basket on uh rebounding situations by Julius randall and mitchell robinson like i i just don't see them out you know josh hart is bullying their guards i just don't see them out physical in the knicks so physicality is going to travel. Is going to is never going to leave the Knicks. And they said that well, we can rebound better. You've been a bad rebounding team all season. I, I don't see rebounding all of a sudden. Say well, we take away the Knicks rebounding, we'll win the game. I I, just, I think the Knicks are going to re- out rebound them every game. And you know, JD Bickerstaff says you know that they need to get a better spark from the bench. Your bench has been terrible all season. I don't think you're getting a great or much better performance from your bench. It was a series I had going seven. But after watching game one, this looks a lot more like a six or five game series to me. I, it really does. So I think the Knicks are going to gain some confidence from that win. I don't think this is a Knicks team that's going to come in that's going to be kind of fine with just getting a split. I think he'll get a better game from Emmanuel quickly. I think the Knicks also get game two and they go up 2-0 coming back to New York. Now, the Knicks have not been a great home team. So I'm not saying necessarily that means it's a sweep. But, of course, if you get the first two games – of the playoffs on the road it definitely puts a sweep on the table so we'll see what happens game two uh tuesday night let me get the time here for you for you guys uh for that nick uh game two but um man i i thought that of all the games we had this weekend game one nick's Cavs one of the best we had and there were plenty of really good ones you had a really good one um with the clippers and, and Suns. you had a really good one out in sacramento so, uh, so, so the Knicks, Cavs put on a great performance in Game One in terms of competition. We'll see what they do in Game Two, but Game Two is a uh, 7:30 Eastern on TNT. So, before we get out of here, I just want to make note. Uh, so, some some technical issues are not allowing Tommy to get back on the show, unfortunately. So, I'm gonna take you guys out the rest of the way. So, I want to make sure you guys were wondering where the Tommy go. That <laughs> that's what we're dealing with right now. Some technical issues aren't allowing him to come back on the show for today, but he'll be back with us uh, very soon. So I want to make sure we make note of that, but I want to wrap the show here talking about um, some of these storylines that happen outside of the Knicks purview. And some of them I think are related. So you had upsets and, uh, and injuries that were the key storylines for the first weekend of the NBA playoffs, the Lakers and Clippers uh, and the heat joined the Knicks as lower seeds to take game one, of their respective playoff series is now. Uh, I think for two of those teams, there was a big injury reason as to why they helped get these W's. So um, in game one, Giannis Antetokounmpo, he goes out with a back contusion in the first half. He took a hard fall on the charge, and there's a whole conversation now about whether or not, you know, charges need to be outlawed in the NBA, which seems a little extreme to me. But Giannis goes out of game one. He tries to come back. He can't go. Heat get that win. Meanwhile, in that same series, and in a game, excuse me, Tyler Hero 
uh, dies for a loose ball, breaks two fingers in his right hand. And now he is done for the series. He's going to be out for the six weeks. Uh, I thought it was quite ironic that, you know, we know Tyler Hero is a shooter. He likes to get it up. And the guy broke two fingers. And first time he got the ball, he was still jacking it up. He was in excruciating pain trying to shoot a three with broken fingers. But that just shows you his mentality. Um, he's a, a, a shoot first and a absolute, uh, you know, he's absolute assassin when it comes to offense. So it, regardless of broken hand, broken finger, he's going to get his shots up. So um, unfortunately he got hurt in that series. So he's going to be out for the six weeks. So Giannis goes out in game one, back contusion. Hero breaks two fingers on his right hand. He's done for the series. Won't be back at least for a month. So I mean, you know, who knows when we'll see him. Meanwhile, in the Grizzlies lost to the Lakers, John Morant injures his right hand, fall, taking a fall, driving to the basket. X-rays were negative on that hand, but he was talking about how he really could not use it, could not move it, and um, was very uh, pessimistic about kind of where he was in terms of his health moving forward in this series. So when we talk about um, the most significant injury of all these three, the Giannis one is very, very interesting because that is a series that I gave the Miami Heat 0% chance to win. I thought that that would be either a sweep or a gentleman's sweep. I thought that the Heat had been kind of playing with their food for way too long in the season, and then they were trying to kind of like ramp it up when it was far too late. We saw how they looked coming down the stretch. We saw how they looked in the first playing game when they got dominated by the Hawks, and we saw how they looked for most of that game that they played against the Bulls where they kind of need a a fourth-quarter comeback to get their way into the playoffs at home. So – Credit to them, they definitely came out with the right energy and, and the right mentality to start game one. But I still thought that they weren't going to win that game in game one if Giannis plays the, the entire way and isn't healthy. Giannis is a really tough, tough gun. Like, he's not somebody that's going to not go out there he, if he can't go. So the fact that he couldn't come back in that game was, I think, a really bad sign for the Bucks. And if there's no Giannis in the series, it's, it's to me, open season in terms of who can win that series. Like, this isn't a series where I feel like the Heat are going to be so outmanned, even with Tyler Hero being out of this series in a, in a series against the, the Bucs. I mean, Giannis is the best player in the NBA. You had a lot of the you know players who suffered injuries or teams that suffered injuries saying, hey, man, it's just next man up. You can't next man up Giannis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> you know, there's certain guys that you just it's not you can't say that for. And losing who, the guy who I think is the best player in the NBA is a crucial loss. And I think it's significant not just for – the rest of these playoffs potentially if he can't go or if he's at 50 percent or 60 percent trying to play through that back injury it's because it's significant for the knicks because the knicks did win game one you don't want to look too far ahead because you're trying to just make sure you take care of cleveland but i gotta be honest like if the knicks get past cleveland and you're talking about playing the bucks with a either gimpy or not available Giannis Antetokounmpo. Or you're talking about playing against the Miami Heat without Tyler Hero. I think Knicks watch both of those teams. I don't think that I think Knicks will come in as heavy favorites. Now, of course, the Knicks guys are healthy, and we gotta hope that they don't face a, a, a war of attrition in these next few games. But if you're talking about the Knicks playing against the Heat and the Bucks compromise in that major way, the Knicks got a pathway to definitely the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think I would argue they have a pathway to the NBA Finals. I think I've said from March, maybe late February, definitely I think around March. I think that they match up really well with Boston. I think they match up pretty well with Philly. It's not the easier match of the two, I think, but I think they match up pretty well. They've played both those teams well throughout the regular season. I would not say Knicks are favored, but 
if they get the Bucks without Giannis or the Heat without Hero, the Knicks have a chance to go to the NBA Finals. That is a reality coming into uh, these playoffs. So, you know, of course, it's, it's injuries. You never want to wish injuries. I want these guys all to be 100%. But it's just it's just the reality of the situation. If that is what we're dealing with, with Giannis having to maybe miss games or not be 100%, or, you know, Hero is definitely going to be out, then things change in terms of the Knicks ceiling for this season. And, you know, for Knicks fans, I know that's going to be really exciting. I think when it comes to the jaw and, and the Grizzlies injury, I, I I told Tommy on this show, and maybe I got to eat a lot of crow after the Lakers had no chance in this series. I thought people saying that the Lakers were a title contender, were uh, living in a fantasy world. Uh, maybe it was me who was living in a fantasy world. I don't know. I don't know because I thought that they would have uh, much more problems with the Grizzlies and their athleticism in game one. That was not the case. The Grizzlies had a tough time guarding. Uh, in a way that surprised me that the Grizzlies are usually a really good defensive team, but Austin Reeves was doing work. Rui Hachimura was doing work. It wasn't even LeBron and AD killing them in this in this series. So if those guys are going to be able to be comfortable in this series, Grizzlies could be in a lot of trouble. So not having John Morant potentially for the rest of the series, I know they've been comfortable winning without him, but it's a lot different when you talk about not having John Morant while also not having Steven Adams, not having Brandon Clark, like – at a certain point, you just can't survive all these injuries. So I have major concerns for the um, Memphis Grizzlies moving forward. But um, I want to say just my last few biggest takeaways from the from the uh, we first weekend of the playoffs outside of the Knicks and outside of the injuries. Um, number one, I think Denver made a real statement on Sunday night against Minnesota. It's not that Minnesota was a team I thought really could give them too many problems. But I think the great sign from Denver was to see how Jamal Murray and Michael Porter played especially Jamal Murray, because to me, Jamal Murray may be the biggest X factor in the entire Western Conference playoffs, because not a lot of people were respecting the Denver Nuggets as a one seed. I think a lot of that is because they did not finish the season all that well, and they've had some postseason struggles. But what's interesting to me is how the Nuggets have been, kind of turned into this team that nobody believes in in the playoffs, even though Jokic and Murray and this nucleus made their name in the playoffs. Like, they're big run and these guys kind of coming into the, the the mainstream for most of the basketball world was in the bubble and it was during that great playoff one they were run they were down 3-1 to the utah jazz donovan mitchell at that time who's having these monster games and they came back and won that series they were then um down 3-1 to the los angeles clippers the team that a lot of people thought was going to win the nba championship in the bubble and they came back from three straight double digit deficits to win that series and they competed against Lakers. They didn't win. I think they only won one game. They might have won and lost in five, but um, they competed tough against the Lakers. And he said, wow, this young team showed up and they were ready to play in the playoffs. They weren't afraid of the moment. And then, you know, the next year they lose to the Suns and the Suns and four guy, you know, becomes a viral meme. And then, you know, last year you don't have Murray. You don't have uh, uh, Michael Porter. And, you know, you get stomped out by the Warriors when the, when the championship. Now all of a sudden it's Nuggets aren't a real playoff contender seems a little harsh to me, but what you saw from Jamal Murray, and if you remember how he played in the uh, bubble, he was a superstar. And he looked a little bit like that in that game one against Minnesota. If the Nuggets are going to get bubble Jamal Murray in this playoffs, Nuggets are going to the finals. That That's clear. I didn't pick them because I didn't think that we'd get Murray playing at that high level. But he looked so locked in, so ready to go. That was the late game, so maybe it's the storyline that a lot of other people aren't talking about. But I watched that game, and I said, that is a very, very good sign for the Denver Nuggets moving forward. So that's 
one big storyline. And the other big storyline is, you know, the team that I did have going to the NBA Finals and winning the championship is the Suns losing game one. And you say, I mean, the Clippers were a team that people were dismissing, I thought, in the series, because I know they don't have Paul George, but Ty Lue is a really good playoff coach. He's really good with with uh, he's really good with adjustments. He's really good with game planning. And he's really good at also getting his team to believe they could do the impossible. Of course, we saw what they did um, when he was coaching the Cavs, when they were down 3-1 to the Warriors, coming back to win the NBA Finals, first team to ever do that in NBA history, to win a Finals after being down 3-1. I really think that the Suns are going to have a series. I thought they were going to have a series. I thought it was going to be tricky. But I think what was a great sign for them was Kawhi Leonard turned into Toronto Kawhi Leonard. Um, he turned into that playoff terminator that we've seen him be throughout multiple times throughout his career. And if you have him being able to outplay both KD and Devin Booker, which is just not out of the realm of possibility. Like, that's the thing about him is that he's so great that when he's right and he's healthy, he's um, in shape and ready to go. And, and I mean, in shape, I mean, like, you know, in fit form, not necessarily that he's out of shape, but, you know, he, he plays so aspiringly sometimes. He's just not in the right condition, not in the right a rhythm to to play at a high level but if he's gonna play at that level which we know he's capable of clippers absolutely have a shot to win that series because they're very deep they have a lot of guys to contribute you, you kind of can't take away one or two guys in that team you gotta try to take away Kawhi, but after that anybody could hurt you so you got a sun's team that has zero depth their bench is maybe the worst bench left in the postseason um clippers are gonna have a fighting chance in that series and i i think that I wasn't surprised that they won game one, but I think that a lot of other people are. And for a Suns team that's trying to kind of figure it out on the fly, this is going to be a very tough team to figure it out on the fly. I think they'll I think they'll still win the series, and I think that this will be a great experience for them playing against such a good team, such a well-coached team in the first round. But, man, that was a, a tough loss to have. Um, so, so I think that the Clippers, that was a big storyline as well. And another storyline, I mean, Eastern Conference playoffs, man. I mean, we'll see how the rest of these series go. But, I mean, the Celtics and the Sixers are going to walk to the second round. I mean, I think you're looking at maybe two sweeps. That's how uh, unimpressive the Nets and the Hawks were in their first round. They look completely overmatched. Uh, maybe the Hawks can figure out a game in Atlanta and get one. I didn't think the Nets would win a game in this series, and there was nothing I saw in game one to make me think that. So, uh, I think we're definitely getting Celtics and Sixers. There's no question about that. For both those teams, I think it's a matter of like wanting to make sure that you beat these teams as quickly as possible so that you don't have to deal with the other team getting more rest than you. That is that, that is where you are right now when it comes to uh, that uh, playoff matchup potentially in the second round. So um, that's my take on the rest of the postseason. That is going to do it for this edition of Orange Blue Buds again. Unfortunately, Tommy wasn't able to get back on the air due to some uh, um, do some technical issues, but he'll be back with us for sure next episode. So make sure you guys keep it locked here. Of course, you can get all these episodes of Orange Blue Buds on the uh, Odyssey Sports Channel or wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto-download feature on your streaming service so you get these episodes every time we drop. We drop three times a week, so we'll be back later on this week as well. Make sure you check us out on YouTube as well. That's where you can find us on the Odyssey Sports channel and the WFN channel as well. And make sure you catch us um, on social media. You can find me on Twitter, uh, EJ underscore Stewart. You can find uh, me on Instagram and TikTok. Actually, EJ, Tommy can be found uh, at Tommy Beer on Twitter. So uh, that'll do it for now. Thank you guys so much for checking us out. For Tommy, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. 
Steve.